listening to the Hollywood Boulevard podcast. Hey, welcome to the Hollywood Boulevard podcast with Alfred Crane, Jonathan Moody, Paul Presenza, and Joe. I just like had a blank with this. Oh man. What, what am I what am I like one name like Prince or Madonna or something like that? I'm just simply Joe. And Joe. Uh, I know too many fan. Joes. That wouldn't work. I, it's so yeah. funny. I'm sure everybody would assume it would have been Joe Estevez, but no, it's we got Joe Torek. Yeah, the one and only Joe Torek, as far as we know. As far as we know, I don't know. Have you ever met any others, Joe? Actually, I have. Oh, um, wow. Uh, I, I met one, and then I got crossed up with one at work, because there was another Joe Torek in where I work at. He was He's like in Utah or something. It was like a cross path. But, um, <laughs> that yeah, is so crazy. I'll, I'll, I'll type my, e- my name in the email, and it was just like, that's not me. I'm not a sales associate in so-and-so or whatever. I was like, ah. <laughs> Here's Joe Two Turek. Yeah, exactly. Joe Turk Two. <laughs> well, speaking of two, there is no Excalibur Two, so we're going to talk about Excalibur. But the oh, bring it back, Alfred. Thank you. The John Borman movie that he produced, I think it was um, 1980. It's like one of the most amazing movies I saw when I was a kid outside of Star Wars. It just blew me away the first time I saw it. And oh, yeah. I, I learned a lot of history. Even this movie wasn't really history you know air quotes but it was a mythology but man they really the, the time period arthur was, was about a thousand years before this one but this one kind of made it like 1500s but putting that all aside and just taking it as a, mm-hmm. as a world-class movie i mean it was everything a kid could want in a movie or an adult me as an adult too it's just sword sorcery fair maidens men in armor jousting and there's feasts and it's just, a, it's just a great adventure story and a great moral tale about you know love going sideways and kingdoms in the balance and and people and personalities and you know trying to get as if you before Game of Thrones it was like this is it you know you had this and um and uh, I just found this movie so fascinating and I remember first time I saw it was on HBO and they had two versions of it the PG one which ran during the day. Which is, I guess, clear quote, family friendly, and then the R-rated version that has Gabriel Byrne, um, and the. Uh, oh wait! Oh, okay. So the PG PG one did not have uh, Gabriel Byrne in it. But I don't know. Back then, I had no idea who Gabriel Byrne was, but I know the sex scenes weren't in it. Yeah. Okay. But, but um, at least some of probably the Uther stuff was. was yeah, they had it. that because I remember as a kid watching them. Go with his helmet changing in the mist. I was like, oh, that is so freaking cool. <laughs> and the armor was just fantastic in this man. It's just great. Um, uh-huh. It still has a lasting impression on me um, to this day. And what made me think of doing this? I watched a making of it that's on Prime. It's like five bucks. It's totally worth it to, to follow up your viewing of it with. And they had like some of the people who are still alive and some of the cast members who had passed. But he had like Helen Marin, Liam Neeson, Clive Swift. Gabriel Byrne, Patrick Stewart, all these uh, actors have got their start in this movie. So um, I'll open it up to y'all. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that was a 1981 movie. And I saw it in the theater when it came out. And I was blown away with it. And of course, I'm a big John Borman fan. So anything that John Borman does, you know, he did um, Point Blank and Deliverance and The General, which is another one of my favorite movies. Um, hope and glory etc so 
I was very, very excited when this movie came out because you're right, it's around that same time where sort of um, uh, fantasy movies were, were kind of like the big thing in the early 80s, especially after Star Wars. But the thing about this movie, and this is something that I, I always caution people, especially younger people who who haven't seen this movie, don't quite know about it. This is not a movie that is based in reality whatsoever. And that's how John Borman approached it. This whole thing is all about what's called the matter of Britain, which are sort of like the very esoteric kind of um, uh, scholarly pursuit of literature in the Middle Ages. You have the, the what's called the, the the three great matter cycle, the, the matter of, of Rome, the matter of uh, France, which is all about Charlemagne, and then the matter of Britain, which is all about the, the, Arth, uh, the Arthurian cycles, because it's it, you can't really ground it in reality because the stories have been have come from so many different authors. Some of them are anonymous. We don't know where they come from. And it's really honestly supposed to be set in the like late fifth and early sixth centuries. But because most of the of the authors who wrote about it were in the Middle Ages, it tends to be set in the Middle Ages, which is why you have all that armor, that later medieval armor and weapons and all that, even though that had nothing to do with what would have been the original Arthur. And you're right, you're bringing in all this all this other stuff. There's a lot of religious allegory in there. And the reason it's be it becomes such a big thing to the English people and why it was those stories were recycled and told over many, many different times through many different writers is the fact that it's also bound up in sort of like a national heritage because it's all about uh, Arthur being sort of like um, the 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 um, metaphor for, for Britain itself and how he's like the great, the once and future king, just like the book, The Once and Future King, and that um, he represented this once great uh, period of, of English history and that it will one day come again if, the, you know, a worthy person comes up out of the mists and manages to take Excalibur out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, he's kind of a Christ-like figure in that and that he, you know, will come back at some point to save the British people. So there's this, there's this whole big thing going on in there. All of it is outside of any kind of reality at all. So that's why when I, I tell people just try not to get a you know too obsessed over things like the armor and a lot of the stuff the way that it's shot it you know that's all done with with mists all over the place and you know it's kind of operatic in the way that it's approached in the film because that's the way that borman wanted to do this he wanted to make a movie that was based on myths and dreams and legends and that's why it comes off as it does <clears throat> And he got to sleep in, and he got to sleep at home in his own bed making it too, right? Yeah. It all shot right there in Ireland. Um, yeah. Uh, by the way, I just found this out, and I don't know if you guys were aware of this. Um, do you guys know who Keith Buckley was? Uh, Keith Buckley. He was Urians in it. I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, Urians. Urians. He uh, passed away in 2020 due to COVID. Oh, that sucks. You know, that of all it seemed like a lot of these people that are uh, in the movie have um, uh, sadly passed. Most a lot of them have passed away. We've still got yeah, Dame well, Marin, but 81, you know, you know, that's yeah. You still got Liam Neeson and now for and the Patrick small Stewart, role, Patrick Stewart, Patrick Stewart, 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 Stewart,
Yeah, and Syrian Hines is still there. Um, Unfortunately, Nicole Williamson, who was a great Shakespearean actor, one of the one of the greats, he um, he's the guy who plays Merlin, and for for the rest of my life, he will always be the Merlin, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. Um, and he was he's and he's always good in all the movies that he's in. But he was mostly known for being a Shakespearean actor, as was Helen Mirren and Patrick Stewart. I, I heard that they didn't want to work together because yeah, they had Helen a really Byrne, bad like yeah. uh, Macbeth. Experience. Helen Mirren and Nicole Williamson did not like each other one bit, unfortunately. But it was um, so fun to see them together. <laughs> sure, sure, absolutely. <laughs> they look like they did not want to be together. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of that animosity that you see is definitely there for real. And, and uh, Borman knew this, and uh, he he played that into it, and he mm. basically told either one of them, you know, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you don't dislike this person, but if you're gonna feel these these feelings, use it. And so they did. You know. Uh, so all right, well let's go around let's go around the room and start with Alfred because he's hosting, but. I'd like to hear when was like the first time you guys saw this because I just saw this literally today. So that's that'll be my thing for saying it. But Alfred, go ahead and, and talk about your first time and a first experience with this. It was like uh, I saw it on HBO like in the early eighties. I don't know. It was came out the same year on HBO um, that it premiered in the movies. Was it eighty one or it came out? Eighty one. Eighty one. Eighty one. It's it maybe been eighty one or eighty two. I saw it on HBO, and I tell you, they had the two versions, and it just had a really big impact on me. It was just, it's like, um, just amazing. And you know, seeing it, after watching this making of it, it's like, it's like one of the last movies made without any blue screen. I mean, they did everything. What you see is what you got. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's one of the greatest things. What about you, Joe? Um, well, I I saw parts of it on HBO years, many years ago, back when like when Alfred was talking, but. Um, the first time I really saw it, it was in um, like 97, 98. And it's and I saw it was kind of weird because I was working at um, uh, a theater at the time. And the manager of the theater, um, he he was it, so into this movie. He bought a print of this movie and wow. he showed it after hours in it, for, for all of us. And we watched it after hours. It, at, at, at in Kiln Creek. So we got to see a print of the Whoa. movie on a big screen. And that's the, uh, now the print was pretty beat up, but nevertheless, seeing it on the big screen was, was, was pretty remarkable um, to, see, to see that. But um, he was like, he's like, yeah, I got this movie and all, and um, uh, we're going to have to put it together and all this stuff. He said he got it for, it was really cheap. Actually, he bought it because that's back, that's back when they were actually, you know, had prints of the movies versus it being digitalized and all that stuff. So, so my first time was really watching it in its entirety was then. Um, and since then I hadn't seen it again until last night. Um, uh, and then I saw it last night and I, and I, I just, I remember, I remember pieces of it, but then it was like a lot more of it came back together when I watched it again. But my first time was in the theaters, just not on the initial run in, in what the early eighties. So, um, Paul, you said you saw it in the theaters the first time? Absolutely. I was in high school, and um, I saw it when it came out in the theaters. And as a matter of fact, that was like a glorious, glorious time for movies <laughs> right. back then with all the great movies coming out. I remember it was like something like six months later, Blade Runner came out. And those those are, you know, in my top ten movies of all time, all time, both Blade Runner and Excalibur are right there. And um, 
I have loved Excalibur. It's one of those movies I put on, you know, every year, I'd say. Um, I, I bought the Blu-ray and watched it about maybe uh, six weeks ago. So I, I just wanted to see how it looked in Blu-ray. It looked even more glorious in Blu-ray. Um, and it was just a fantastic time. And not only just the stories and the acting and the action and everything. I the other thing that that just the the way that it was shot is amazing. It's absolutely one of the most beautiful movies you're ever going to see. And um, I also love the music. The music stuck with me uh, for years and years and years. And I have to say that um, when I went and visited Ireland, I got to go to several sites, including uh, the the one castle that uh, Patrick Stewart is there, and he and his 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 daughter are getting sieged. Um, I got to go to that castle, so that was way cool. Yeah. Um, well, um, I was looking up and, and seeing uh, when it came out in the theaters and what was big around that. To your point, Paul, and um, it it wasn't number one. It's opening week. Um, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two was. Um, so uh, that that came out right around there. Um, and Star Wars was was uh, reissued, um, and then Empire Strikes Back was reissued. But um, about that time, those were number ones around there. Um, other movies was um, a Cheech and Chong movie, um, uh, Raiders Raiders of the Lost Ark was yeah. then, uh, Superman 2 was then, wow. uh, Tarzan the Ape Man, um, and then there's one of the Omen movies, and it, it goes sort of downhill from there, but I mean, uh, the original Arthur, and then some comics. Halloween I think it went downhill with Cheech and Chong. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> this, this one was more like, you know, an option for more adult entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, no, but so, um, Hall Halloween two was in there, and then Time Bandits. Um, uh, those oh, were some yeah, of the big Time stuff Bandits, another great movie yeah. from that period. Well, we we've talked about this before on Film Freaks because uh, we also do Film Freaks, which is very similar to this in a way, except uh, and and I think Paul was hoping to do this on Film Freaks, which I think you still will do it on Film Freaks at some point a because it's point, a different um, is a different platform, you know, or whatever. But um, the the thing is you are always talking paul about um movies for adults as opposed to movies for kids you know star wars is movies for, for kids teenagers whatever like uh any anything marvel is teenager or whatever adults can watch it you know or whatever and adults generally watch them with their kids a lot of times you know but this movie is not meant for kids you know no, and, no this this is not a quick popcorn movie this is more a thinking person's movie, somebody who appreciates history, appreciates, you know, legends and appreciates, you know, all the other sort of uh, esoteric things and, and art and all that. It's, it's not really meant to appeal to a wide audience. You know what I mean? It's, it's meant to be meant to stand on its own. And it has and it does, you know, since 1981 to now and you know 50 years from now people are still going to look back at this and say what an amazing achievement uh that, that excalibur was uh, for all the reasons we we've, we've discussed and it's been difficult because hollywood has tried to come back and do other arthurian types of films with different other actors but more in sort of the traditional hollywood way none of them are nearly as good as this film because they're not invested in the whole matter of Britain or the idea of mythology and legends and all that, that, that John Borman was. I'm very thankful that he took all that stuff seriously and did not approach it as sort of a, a popcorn film and just kind of whatever. He, he utilized all of that 
sort of amorphous ambiguousness to his advantage and that whole thing permeates the film so that you never really feel like you're sitting in one distinct point in history you're kind of like all points of history all merging together it's it's pretty amazing you don't see very many movies made like this and it's it takes quite a chance um so what i read uh through like trivia on uh, imdb and and whatnot and um and then also i heard there's commentary on that dvd so it's amazing mm-hmm. that the, the commentary is there with john borman talking you know oh, the yeah. whole time and um one of the things i one of the things i heard uh through the imdb is that um uh he had been trying to make this for years um under like the title merlin and then it um he wanted a merlin story so you know story uh then like he just couldn't get the funding for it and uh united artists was the original people he went to united artists uh wanted him uh not to do merlin but wanted him to take the ideas and everything and put it into uh lord of the rings because i guess they had the uh rights to lord of the rings at that time and he had no interest in that but uh a lot of what I guess the Lord of the Rings sets and things like the things that they would have probably done for that is, is the backdrop for, for this movie. And I think that's pretty cool actually, because this would have it almost felt very Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, like all those movies that came later seem very inspired by this movie. Right. And it's, it's on purpose that John Borman picked a lot of stage actors and Shakespearean actors and not movie stars, you know, mm. and Nigel Terry, you know, he's a guy that I knew from back when, um, you know, the Lion in winter, another one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. He was in that and he was in a bunch of other uh, sort of uh, stage adaptions and, you know, into Shakespearean acting and all that. He was 35 years old at the time. And not only does he play, the uh, the regular Arthur and even the older Arthur, he plays him as a teenager and he gets away with it. That's I mean, amazing. he looks so young. <laughs> I know they made him look so young and then they made him look so old. And it and worked. I- it totally <laughs> worked. And um, I think yeah. that you, you, you talked a little bit about um, the Shakespearean aspects of it, and I think that was some of the way that they delivered the lines. It seemed almost like it was Shakespearean, or it was a play, or uh, on the stage and stuff like Especially that. Especially Nicole Williams. Very, yeah. Mm-hmm. especially Nicole yeah. Williamson, the way he delivered his lines and some of his lines will, will stick with me the rest of my life, just the way he did it. And, you know, it's great because he also was able to inject humor into that character that you generally don't see. You know what I mean? You could tell when he was being serious, but you could also tell when he was, you know, having a little bit of fun and kind of poking, you know, some fun in his own character, which was really, really cool. Um, so it's just, it is just a, massive massive performance by everyone but especially nicole williamson if, um you know if, if you're lucky and you get to see things like um some shakespeare theater um pbs you usually put out like all the great shakespearean plays and if you get to see the ones from the 60s a lot of times you're going to see some of the great shakespearean actors of all time including nicole williamson playing there but otherwise you know these this is one of the few films uh, mass-produced films that he was involved with uh, another one that he was in uh, that I loved is called, um, oh, God, the one with Sean Connery where they're doing, um, he's also doing, uh, he's doing Robin Hood. Yeah. Um, was It wasn't the Robin Hood and Marion, was it? No, 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 no. It was, um, oh, I know my brain doesn't work. 
it was kind of a trick title. It was like um, the maiden or something. Oh, Robin and Robin and Marion. That was that's it. what yeah. I'm saying. I thought that's yeah, Robin and Marion. Yeah. Um, yeah, he played Richard, Richard, that's played Richard Little John. Yeah, yeah, he played Little John. I just had to look it up. I was like, I was like, okay. Yeah, that was that was another great, great film. Um, oh, is Michael Terry's voice some dubbed? Sorry, did they dub Michael Terry's voice in the movie, or was that his real? No, that's that's his voice. Okay, like even as a kid and as an adult, like because he, I, I think his accent's a little thicker when he's younger. Okay. Okay. So one of my let's go around. Let's say what our favorite scenes are exactly. I know there's probably multiple favorite scenes, but like I, I want to say that like uh, my my like my favorite scene is honestly the pulling the uh, the the sword out of the stone because like growing up as a kid, I loved the movie The Sword in the Stone, the the Disney thing. So I'd always been, you know, fascinated by that story. And they did it so well. Where this kid is just looking for his his you must uh, put it back. <laughs> yeah. So he just wanted his uh his brother to have a to have a sword. He, he oh, lost really? it. Like somebody stole it, so he went looking for it and then he was like, eh, you know what? Stole. Maybe maybe I could do this. And he does it like no problem. And they're like, wait a minute, put that back. You're and he okay, puts it back it. and nobody else can pull it up. And then they're like, let the boy give it a try. And, yeah. and nobody at that point will let him, um, uh, you know, will let him, uh, uh, you know, be king. You know, they don't want to be king to like, he's not even a knight. Like, how can he, he rule us, you know, or whatever. And just oh, such a, such a great scenes, like couple scenes. Um, Alfred, what's your favorite scene? Oh, I love the um, final battle. Everything about it, the the buildup of the music, the Carl Orff, Carmina Burana, and the whole mm-hmm. thing going into the fog, and the the, the guards sitting there, you get the music, go, and then it goes to the guards, and there's nothing, and then it kind of switches back. It's just so, and it builds up, and then there's a wham, there's a huge fight, and it missed the whole thing, you know, Arthur and his, his you know, air quote son get um, into that fight. Mordred. And it's just amazing. It's just that thing. it gives me goosebumps now thinking about it and leading all the way up to the end. And I have to say, it's, it's connected to it, but that whole scene at the end where Arthur goes off into the sunset, just like, fuck. Yeah. I mean, I, so I'm just getting all goosebumps thinking about it now. It's just so epic. Yeah. What about you, Joe? Um, I think you hit on a couple of them already, but um, when they had that, I, I, I can't remember the, the, the song, the score, um, that, that's that famous the song that alfred just referenced was that for that song carmina barana was that for that movie or was that like something else No, it's a classic it's a classical piece i thought it is is. Uh, yeah yeah so so they they did that twice so i like that during both of the battle sequences um as well as i i really liked when um was it percival uh, ran across Mordred and, and had the, the, the little giggle thing that was going on. I was like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and then yeah, obviously. They were searching um, for it too. Yeah. <laughs> and I really, I, I really liked um, just basically everything that all the scenes that Helen Mirren was in, all, all the Morgana mm. scenes. I mean, I just, yeah. I just really liked her, her, the way that it just, that, that she was and then and then obviously the flip at the end when it, it's no longer her <laughs> when she gets aged yeah so I, i'd say a couple of those um but um what do you guys say moody 
Well, no, I already said mine. So how about you, oh, Paul? Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Um, well, I love them all. I, I can't think of a single scene that I didn't like. I think my favorite is probably after, you know, when, you know, he, Percival finds the thing and, and Arthur knows he's got to go off and fight Mordred and Mordred has a much stronger army and he sleeps and in his dream Merlin comes back and it was heartbreaking to see Merlin leave because even though Merlin is kind of like an otherworldly creature who is not human he still loves Mer uh, 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 he still loves Arthur in his own way and he comes to him in his dream and uh you know he's trying to give him courage and, and Arthur asks you know are are you a dream and he goes, a dream to some, a nightmare to others. And it's just like really great dramatic moment. Then he vanishes and then he goes around and then everybody finds out that, that Merlin's come to all their dreams and has given them all courage. And, you know, it's, it's this wonderful, wonderful thing. Like, you know, Merlin just might be dead, but he's still able to affect what's happening in the world because he's Merlin and he's awesome. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful, wonderful moment. Uh, I I definitely agree. I think, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, all that stuff was, was his name, Mordred, the uh, the son, the, uh, yeah. the kid, the Come son. Father, well, let us embrace at last. The son, yes. <laughs> they both. Oh my god. Oh, that was such a great. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but um, what is it? Uh, you know, because basically that kid's a kid of like incest you know in a way you know even though it's not really because and like it's a mother from it's a it's a kid you know like she's a sister or what is it, a sister from another mister i guess or whatever you <laughs> know that's john borman's son by the way which at first i swear to god as the kid as a little kid before he grew up and became the um adult or whatever but when he was the little kid i swear to god he was i thought he was a girl at first like he had that he had a girl voice i did too and, that, and that, that giggle and stuff yeah it, and, it, and the, the mask that's, and everything that's his daughter who plays a grain who does all the dancing and uh you know uh uther you know, breaks the treaty in order to have sex with and he changes into which i think um, is a little weird you know like that to me was weird that john would watch his own daughter naked in a movie? I don't know. I mean, I, I like artistic reasons, man. I mean, was she the best that he could find? Like, you know, like for that role? I don't know. She I was just great in it. She was great in it, but I mean, it's just to me, it's a little weird. I don't I like if I had a daughter, like a real daughter, I would not ask her to be naked you, in my movie. You thought that was weird as opposed to the guy having sex with her with his armor still on? <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing that got me in that whole thing was just like, well, you're like why didn't he even take the armor off holy shit <laughs> you were just like this is fantasy it's okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i like i don't know i was just like no i was really weirded out that it was like when i found out because i looked it up and i was like wait the daughter is the uh is the the girl he's fucking like like you know like i was just like this is just weird to me and it looks like isn't joe's isn't gonna it, say something isn't there, isn't there three of his relatives in the movie. I, yeah, I there's, there's, there's two, also there's a, a third scene one. when they first go to Excalibur, where you're seeing some naked children dancing in a circle, and um, he's got another one in there, I believe. Running around naked in there too. Yeah. Oh, hey. Well, you know, it's it's, it's supposed <laughs> to be, you know, back before everybody was a pedophile. It was supposed to be the idea that uh, that 
um, Camelot was this perfect place and innocent and, you know, Eden-like place where you could, you could do that because there was no shame and there was no, you know, evil there. So. Well, I think um, what, what, what you kind of started to touch on too is something that it's, it's kind of an interesting for this episode to talk about. And I think something that you, you when we first suggested that this movie was going to come on, uh, Paul, your, your thing was, that's not Hollywood. And, and, and it makes me wonder and just think, and, I, and I'm glad that we brought this one into our discussion with Hollywood Boulevard, because I know Hollywood Boulevard is mainly Hollywoodish type of movies, and this is definitely not that. But definitely not. It, 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 it brings into question, it's like it, it, it helps introduce people into great movies can be made outside the Hollywood system and outside the Hollywood structure. This movie is not follow a conventional Hollywood's like flow of a film. At times, I was sitting there watching it with the, the guys, and I was getting, I was like, okay, is this, wait, who's this guy? Who's this guy? So, like that, because it, it's not spoon fed to you. And then right. in a lot of Hollywood stuff, it is that way. So, I think that this is an inter interesting turn to discuss in this context, in this forum. And, Paul, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts. I, I, I know you talk about, uh, you have a, of us four, you have a distaste, I know, for more of the Hollywood system. Uh, more so, but um, but it was it was point. produced by 20th Century Fox. It wasn't to just distributed by them. They they actually produced it, I believe. Like they oh, put, was it 20th Century? I thought it was like Orion or something. But Orion uh, put it out as well. And I think I, if I look at the back of my thing, it says 20th Century Fox. So okay. and Orion was a well, it was Hollywood. I guess. Well, from what I understand, oh, Warner know, Brothers. I'm sorry. Warner yeah, he Brothers. brought it originally to the United Artists, and they said that it was going to be too costly, and he had to shop it around a lot of different places before he finally managed to get funding. And he got funding from a number of different sources. Um, Never mind. What are you doing? <laughs> I was trying to show the Warner Brothers sign, which is oh, right yeah. here, but it doesn't... Oh, yeah. And remember, too, um, just because uh, an American group, you know, uh, distributed it they probably distributed it later because this would have been considered a foreign film because it was shot in ireland it was made by english english cast and english crew and english people so but i mean it went up for an account it it, it was nominated for best editing and i believe or oh, yeah. cinematography probably cinematography. I, I, I would think yeah yeah cinematography and that was uh so they don't they don't do that for like a lot of you know international movies. There's a few, but they really mainly a Hollywood stuff. So but, I, I but just, again, it's John Borman, so he has a track record. Even though he does have a couple of stinky movies in his resume, for the most part, uh, most of his movies are are pretty excellent. Yeah, and I th and I think this one here it kind of opened the door for Hollywood to do a lot of the stuff that came out in the early eighties. So I think from a Hollywood standpoint, I think this really was influential into the Hollywood. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there, Joe. That was the point I was going to make is that even though this wasn't so much a product of the Hollywood system, it definitely, definitely influenced Hollywood from there on out. Yeah. Launched a lot of careers in acting too. <laughs> but, um, uh, um, but thinking with John Berman, I mean, I, I still, I mean, I still think my favorite film of his is still um, Deliverance. I mean, I, I that one still holds a, holds a different a, a different place. I mean, it's a very troublesome film, but um, that's that's sometimes the best ones. Have you guys <laughs> seen but, The General? No, I haven't. I, I oh my god! Ago. 
Uh, I was a Brendan Gleeson, I think. Well, yes, Brendan Gleeson, Adrian Dunbar, and John Voight. One of my favorite, favorite movies of all time. Um, and it's so crazy because um, the the guy that he's talking about, Martin Cahill, actually stole John Borman's Academy Award. And he ended up getting it back, but that's what sort of got him involved in that whole Irish gangster thing. So I'm going to have to do that one for Film Freaks. because it's Which uh, one? It's, the General? The General. It's a brilliant, brilliant movie. And um, John Borman is just an amazing director. Just amazing. I, I, whenever I think of The General, I think of that stupid commercial with the, with the, yeah. the <laughs> oh well yeah there, there's that too that's a completely different general as well i've never that. actually seen it but i know of it you know alfred alfred goes historically um uh genuine with the with the with the reference and you go down the, the, you go down the, go down the commercial the general yeah. save some time <laughs> yeah. and, and fortunately uh, john borman sir john borman is still around he's 89 years old that's so amazing. I don't know that he's he's going to be making anything anytime soon. I Aww. guess he's earned his retirement, but uh, you know he he was always like I said one of my favorite favorite directors. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen many of his movies. Um, you know, Deliverance is on my Netflix queue. So I'm going to watch that. And then I still remember one that came up when I was in the mid '80s called The Emerald Forest about Booth Powers Booth, and I think his son was in that one too. Or he, um, he goes missing in the Amazon. Yeah, okay. Emerald Forest. Yeah, Charlie Borman's in that as well. Um, oh, did well, Taylor Panama? Hmm. I, I will say that I'm surprised that this isn't on Criterion. Yes, you know? and very much this so. is a film that should be on Criterion. This isn't? No. Holy shit! Not yet. No. Not this, yet. Uh, Criterion be... is trying to get more and more stuff. Yeah, there. it's somebody else owns the rights to this movie, and they probably are holding, holding, holding. Warner on Brothers owns the rights to it. Yeah, you so... know, and yeah. So this, I'm and... surprised this isn't on like HBO Max. <laughs> you yeah. know, I think it, I think it was at one time the reg, the regular just the the cut here. But have they ever released the three? Because they said there was originally a three hour cut of this. I don't know if they, if they've ever released that. I've only seen this two hour and twenty minute version. Mm-hmm. But they say the original cut it was, before he trimmed it for the theaters was three hours or plus. So that might be what they could ultimately use in Criterion if they ever went down that road. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you, you, you're right. Somebody owns the rights to it. But a lot of times Criterion does make deals with with companies or whatever, especially if they say, you know, you can you can still put it out on your own Blu-ray, your own, you know, 4Ks, whatever. But let us release it also on 4K and, and you know, well, uh, Blu-ray. I, I don't know about a cut, but I do know that the original script was three hours before it got brought down, of course. Um and I do want to point out that it was shot on an eleven million dollar budget, and that it ended up making like thirty six million. So that doesn't sound like a lot today, but in nineteen eighty one, for a movie made outside of the system, that was still that's very impressive. You know, more than three times more than three times the budget just in that that part, and not counting all this. Absolutely, you know, mm-hmm. sec- secondary sales, uh, VHS, DVD, Blu ray, and and initially when it was released. I think Joe alluded to the fact that there were some problems with it because, you know, a, a lot of the movies that the, the students wanted to get behind were a lot more PG oriented because you could, you could soak the teenagers and kids for money. That's where all the disposable income is. And you couldn't do that with all this nudity and sex and violence that was in there. So that's why they had to make a second version that they could put out in cable. Well, you know? okay. So that's, that's an interesting thing to talk about for Hollywood because 
Yes, even though this isn't technically like a Hollywood movie, um, this is, you know, I would have, I, you know, honestly, if I saw it like in the, in the, at the, uh, uh, what is it, at the video store, and I probably did at times, I just don't really remember necessarily. But if I saw it, I would have thought this was a Hollywood movie. It looks like a Hollywood movie. You know what I mean? This looks Hollywood, um, even though it's not. And it's, you know, uh, it's more, uh i like I, I think they also said they had to get the money from iran you know so i'm wondering if like you know and then they made the deal with uh like warner brothers or something to to come on that's what john borman said in the uh commentary and mm. it's interesting um he also originally wanted uh the uh the cinematographer who did uh like 2001 a space odyssey and oh, yeah, a bunch sure. of other uh stuff but unfortunately the guy died uh, a couple years before this you know 1978 so they weren't you know but he had been talking for years with that guy about doing this and stuff and they were on set but then he got the cinematographer he got uh which was uh uh who did the cinematography on this one do you guys know because uh, whoever did it was amazing alex alex thompson alex thompson has he done anything else that's big like this or uh well he did um let's see uh the keep i don't know if you know that one that's actually a a really fun interesting he did movie. legend yeah i did legends yep. uh did one of the dr phoebe's movies um yeah he's done a few things he did the uh, 96 hamlet he did aliens 3 hey hey mm. I know that's um, a very polarizing film, but yeah. <laughs> Leviathan. Uh, oh, okay. So wow, he's done he, a lot. He, uh, he did Michael Cimino's The Sicilian. The Keep was a great movie. And Year of the Dragon, which is kind of an underrated movie, in my opinion. Oh, Year of the Dragon. And um, he, won, he was nominated for a British Society of Cinematographers Award for Best Cinematography for Nicholas Rogue's movie, Eureka. Okay. I'll also say this. This is interesting because his career is is fascinating. So he had done Legend, but then he had done Raw Deal right after, <laughs> and then Labyrinth, um, and then uh, High Spirits. Man, oh, that God. is a that is a, a movie I actually really remember enjoying we, as a kid. Uh, yeah. We try to forget High Spirits, and that's a Neil Jordan movie. <laughs> Peter Tool and Daryl Hannah in it, right? Well, it said Neil Jordan yeah. was a creative director. And Steve Gutenberg. Uh, <laughs> Steve Neil Gutenberg. Jordan had some, some creative. Um, but, uh, so other movies that, that he did after that, though, I'm, I'm looking him up on here and I saw that like Mr. Destiny. I'm like, whoa, that's a bit of a different, that's a bit of a different take. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's funny because, I mean, cinematographers, they can you be work great. You work. You know, yeah. but yeah, but they need yeah, did, they need to work. Uh, need, he also wow. did the, the the craze, which was a really good movie too. A, a good mm-hmm. um, gangster um, movie. So I, I guess I, you, I do want to put out one one bit of as with Greg getting back to the Hollywood part of it is um see when I in the eighties when I was going out and seeing movies in high school and everything, basically there were two avenues. You had all the regular theaters which showed all the regular Hollywood type movies. And then you had like the State Theater downtown Newark, which did all the artsy movies and the foreign movies. Nine times out of ten, Excalibur would have been shown in one of the artsy movies. I, I still would have gone and seen it, and I still would have loved it. But the fact that this actually had some Hollywood backing to it meant that it was put out on the, the, the big screens all over the country at the regular theaters. 
which means more people got to see it. So on that aspect alone, I was very thankful that Hollywood did get involved. I'm glad they didn't step in and do any creative uh, changes or, 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 you know, got involved in that end of it, thank God. But um, the fact that they at least were able to recognize the fact that it was an excellent film and put some money behind it in order to distribute it, I mean, that's that's great. And so that that made it go out to all the big theaters and everybody got a chance to see it. And I'm telling you, man, seeing it in the big theater is so much different and it, and it, just, it enhances your experience so much. And I wish everybody had the chance to to have seen that at the It'd time. It'd be nice if they could like, because you said, Joe, you got to see it on the big screen, you know, and yeah. everything. That's amazing. But uh, it would be nice if people, more people, like, got to re-release it or something. Like Warner. I, here, here's my I biggest thought- problem right now that it's owned by Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers Discovery doesn't give a fuck about anything that doesn't make them money, you know, or whatever, right? So they're probably going to look at this like, ah, this, I, I don't care, you know, like, and everything. And that kind of makes me sad because this might do really well. That's why, like, I swear to God, they should, they should put it out on Criterion because more people need to see it that probably wouldn't be looking for it you know necessarily i i, I it was on hbo max at one time but yeah that i mean put it on criterion or or even putting it um at a theater again if it um uh did a re-release in the theaters mm-hmm. maybe well just past 40 years so um uh I, but i i know when i saw it i saw it on a dolby screen but the but the sound was the sound wasn't like enhanced obviously or anything like that it was an old print plus i i believe it was in mono maybe stereo at, at, at best well, I, but um i think I can, it was mono because i think i had to cut it but you know. i can tell you even though it's not big screen seeing it on blu-ray on a on a high def tv made a big big difference too so if you guys have only seen dollar store dvd versions you guys got to come on over and watch it in my place and i'm telling you you're, you'll also have a better impression of the film because the colors and then the, the tonality of the darks and lights is just amazing. It's it just it's it, it's a much much better experience. If you can't see it on the big screen, see it on a high def if if you can. Well, I thought you didn't have a like I thought your Blu-ray. Oh, do you have a Blu-ray player? I have two. Remember, I have one that does 4K and I have one that does regular Blu-ray. The 4K is the one that died. So I still have the regular Blu-rays. But it doesn't even play your Blu-rays? It just plays nothing? It like plays, my, my 4K will play DVDs and that's it. Oh. Wow, that's, that's, that's the lamest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, exactly, know? exactly. Wow, that sucks. I'm sorry. You won't even well, take well, my you, thumb drive. Well, you, I, guess, I guess you're getting the best possible play of the DVD, maybe, on the 4K, but well, still yeah, DVD. Between that and the and the TV, so it will upscale to the best yeah. quality it'll do, which is nice. But, you know, like I said, seeing it on Blu-ray, on a Blu-ray disc, much better. And the sound is great. Yeah, I'll have to get that. You're gonna say they made Alfred? the movie today, it'd be like, if you can pull the memory stick from the, the hard drive, then you become king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. You must put it back. Yeah. <laughs> that was a, Clive Swift, he was in The Crawl. He played the old man in The Crawl, which is another, like, it's not it doesn't, It's not even the same league as this, but it's a fun fantasy movie. Oh, it's a fun movie. I love that. It's the old man. Not as yes. old as that. <laughs> See, I, I, Crawl I, I, always I, makes me, like, get confused with Cole. There's Crawl and there's Cole, you know, oh. and One's oh, good, you're, one Kevin, you're talking like this. You're talking like Kevin Sorbo there with Cole. <laughs> yeah, I know. Really good. There's um, a crawl. 
crawl i saw that on the drive-in um, as a kid so yeah a, i saw drive-ins big screen but yet it's a different type of experience yeah, that Obviously, was, that was the... two years later and um my goodness that had liza anthony i had a massive massive crush on liza anthony was Liam Neeson in that one also? Uh, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, Liam Neeson was in that, and Robbie Coltrane too, who just sadly passed away. Yeah, it was just... yeah, that was sad. And uh, Francesca Annis also was in there. She's been in a million different uh, movies. Um, but the one I really love is the guy who's uh, the, the 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 mage. He's like you know, uh, Ergo the Magnificent. Yeah, he was like the my favorite character in that movie. It's, it's a silly movie. <laughs> Yes, yes, it was a silly movie, but it was a lot of fun. It was different, <laughs> different level of of filmmaking. Which one? Caliber, uh, Crawl. Oh, okay. Still, I oh, Crawl. It's on some that's on some streamer. It's been for like I said, I saw on the drive-in. I don't think I've ever seen it since, but um, I, I saw it on one of the streamers. I was like, hmm. I guess that just about everything gets played now somewhere. So, so you got to figure, you know, fifteen-year-old uh, little baby moo cow going off in the theater and seeing Sherry Lugani in that in that film as uh, Guinevere. Uh, just wow! I mean, I how, how could yeah. you not completely fall in love with that beautiful? English I, I actually movie? liked uh, Helen Mirren. I thought she was more attractive. See, there's, you know, which yeah. it's funny because like I I've always known Helen Mirren mainly when she was older, you know, and everything. So I really don't like I I was never really a you know I never really watched a lot of her earlier work, so I never saw how oh, absolutely she breathtaking gorgeous. she was. She was yeah. absolutely gorgeous. Diverse. And a great she, actress. She played one, in 2010. I really love the character. She played the Russian cosmonaut in 2010, the captain of Lyanov. They're going yeah, to I'm, Jupiter. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking this is the first film that, uh, the oldest film back that of Helen Mirren's that I've seen. I can't remember one before it. I'm not saying that there isn't. I just can't remember one off the top. Oh of yeah, head, there's but, a ton of movies that she was in before that. But uh, yeah, no, she's uh, she's pretty amazing. How does she? How does one become a dame? Uh, you put out many, many, many years of high quality work, both on the in, on the English stage and on the screen. That's what is that really? Do. Is that really where you get it from? I thought it yeah. was like a political thing or something. No. And, and, and you and, and you played the queen, and um, obviously it didn't turn you away yeah. from that. So right, <laughs> and she's in prime suspect, which is like the one big thing that got her her, her BAFTA award. And um, yeah, she's she just has that reputation. I mean, there was there was talk for a while that she was going to be the next Doctor Who, and then she just it just never really happened, unfortunately. But everybody was really excited about that. Um, but yeah, oh, she was going to be the next one. Like, yeah, she was... this this was a few years ago, um, and then everybody kept saying it. Nobody, you know, there was a bunch of people who did not want a female Who, but if it was going to be someone, it was going to be her. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I think she'd be amazing. Uh, she's pretty much always amazing. Uh, it's yeah, she's just one of those people. It's funny at the end how um, she she trades her vanity for she's she thinks she's getting something when Merlin tricks her into using the dragon's breath and it really ages her, basically destroys all the chains their army has, and then um, you go and in. and it's not always about her being gorgeous and hot either. You sh she's one of the best actors in the Madness of King George. And she was older in there, and she was just fabulous in that film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's hot and red. 
Well, it's so funny because like, okay, so this is this shows my age. Okay, everybody. Um, The first thing I ever saw of her was teaching Mrs. Tingle, you know, which was so funny because like and I just rewatched it. We just re-reviewed it for uh, a horror film lover. Yeah, horror film lovers uh, for Mainstream Monday. And uh, it, it it isn't terrible of a movie. It just isn't you know the greatest movie or whatever but uh the thing with it is like they they went to helen mirren and they they didn't even think they would you know they would get her you know they didn't think she would even want to do it and i guess she did it but um it it was just uh you know uh, well i i have a movie called age of consent which is helen mirren's second film it was 1969 with james mason and she's like, I don't know, 18 or 19 years old or something like that. And she's she plays a model and she's in a bikini or some, she's you know, nude sometimes. And I'm telling you, man, she just absolutely melts the fucking uh, projector. She's just amazingly gorgeous. So you got to go see her in some of her early works. She's just pretty amazing. Ooh, yeah. And that's available. And that's available on a streamer, too. Ooh, well, oh, yeah. OK, that's which cool. one? It, 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 it's on Age of Consent, right? Yep. It's on, it's, yeah, it's on. It's on Tubi. Okay, nice. Thank She's you. been, you know, it, it's nice to see like Tubi actually having quality stuff as well as you know the not so quality stuff in there. But you know. I, Speaking of which, she's also in Caligula. So if you don't mind seeing some sketchy uh, porn sites someplace, you could see her work in that too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't think I'm gonna go to any sketchy Russian porn sites. It's okay. It's, it's <laughs> the picture he's got that whole sequence where he he breaks Excalibur fighting Lancelot. It's like when Merlin comes, you broke the sword, and it's, it reminds me of the part in um, Galaxy Quest when Alan Rickman like, you broke the bloody ship. <laughs> <clears throat> you have broken what could not be broken. Yeah, <laughs> hope is broken. Yep, and then uh, and then the Lady of the Lake, which I every time I think of the Lady of the Lake, I think of uh, fucking Monty Python and Holy Grail, Python, where, yeah. where he's like the Lady of the Lake, her arm clad with the pure simmering samite, held aloft to Scalibur from the bosom of the water, there signifying by divine providence, I Arthur would would rule a Scalibur. That is why I'm your king. It's like strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government, you know. <laughs> like, right. And that was that was the other thing that Borman had to fight against is the fact that the last movie successful movie about all that was a Monty Python comedy. So mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah, which it was a Monty Python comedy that really did do a good job with like did a great job fun at. You know, we'll probably we'll definitely do that at some point on film Freaks oh, yeah. because yeah. I absolutely adore that movie. It's like one of my favorites. So, but we just haven't gotten there yet. Um, when I was in um, college, in my English class, I mean, it was Victorian literature, and we were reading parts of La Morte Tour, and um, and so I was. I, my project was I took the scene, the scene in the book, the scene in the movie, and, and another example of this in the Arthurian culture and combined and did analysis of the three things. It was similar. It was different, but it just was neat to show. Cause we had a show. I showed the clip of the movie and I read the readings from the book. And then I can't remember what my third source was, but it was just fascinating to just be able to apply that. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, especially because so many different things come from so many different authors. So you go back and you read some of the earlier renditions of Arthur, things like Percival's not in there and, um, you know, Sir Kay's not in there. And, you know, this is the one that sort of pulls from all the different sources. But, you know, you go back and you look, you've got Chrétien de Troyes. He's probably the most famous uh, uh, French writer who, who made it more famous than anybody else. But also Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey of Monmouth and the, the history of British kings and uh, Thomas Mallory, Lamort to Arthur and um, all these other these other great Nennius and probably the the, uh, the earliest in the ninth century, the history of Britain. Um, all these great sources of pulling all these different parts of the folklore together and how, you know, uh, someone like Borman's able to, to take all these different sources and bits from all of them and weave them into something that had not been done before is, is pretty outstanding. You, I, generally not going to see that. Jeffrey uh, Chaucer, he was, it was in, mentioned in Chaucer too. I'll agree because what I really like got out of this movie was not that it was just like the King Arthur story story that like it wasn't just one as you said like, it's all of it so it's got yeah. the sword and the stone it's got uh uther's story it's got um fucking um uh it, it's got the the lady of the lake it's got the merlin and 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 morgana and it's got uh you know all of that all wrapped up into one two and a half or almost two and a half hour long movie and it doesn't even feel like two it's hours and 20 it's minutes. An epic. It is an epic. It, it, what were you going to say, Alfred? Oh, no, I agree. It's, it's one of those movies you sit down and watch and it's over. It's like, damn, it's over again. <laughs> <laughs> you you, you want it to be longer. You want the three-hour cut, I bet, Alfred. You would... well, I can tell you, man, when I was in high school and I watched this, I watched this multiple times. It was one of those movies I went back and paid to see five six times because I, I couldn't get enough of it it was just yeah. i would love to see the script for this movie like you know and how epic you know like just the 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 dialogue itself is just amazing you know and it, i i loved it and now Al, alfred you, you said you you watch this a lot on hbo back in the day yeah. Um, were you seeing the? Were you? You said you were seeing the PG version in the afternoon, or you were you were getting to see the R version after after eight o'clock? I saw so it one in the afternoon a lot. But I remember one time I was like, I think I was like visiting my, um, um, I think I saw one. And I was like, oh, this was different. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what HBO did um, back when it first launched. Um, at first, it wasn't even on during the afternoon. It was only in the evening. The show, TV, they only ran the channel in the evening, but then. They, they only would play R-rated stuff after 8 o'clock at night. So um, well, When I was a kid, uh, they had Disney on the first like four hours of, of HBO. They had the world of Disney. They would play those Disney stuff before Disney Channel. And then they had like um, regular kind of PGG type programming. And then, like I said, around 8 o'clock, it went to the dark side. <laughs> Not Cinemax <laughs> dark side, but just R-rated dark side. Yeah. I, I just remembered another scene that I love that's quite important in the film, too. It's right after Arthur's king, and it's right after he manages to get Urians and the others to swear. And now he has a force, and they're starting to go around and unite the, the lands together, and they're, they're fighting all these different people. You don't see them fighting it, but they're up on the hill, and they're all meeting and saying, oh, the West is with us, and we sent the, the insiders back into the sea, and they're all you know cheering and everything, and Merlin all of a sudden 
you know, flashes his his uh, his uh, cane, and, and and he's like, you know, this is all great, and you all have to you have to remember remember all this, you know, so that years later on you can tell your kids that I was there with King Arthur when all this happened, and then he says very importantly he says because it is the doom of man that they forget which is one of the truest things you're ever going to hear in your life, but it also it's true because that's what happens in this movie. Arthur forgets who he is and he forgets the whole pact and that the idea that, you know, he, he and the land are one. If the one suffers, the other suffers. And mm -hmm. he's tied in with Excalibur and that's where that whole, you know, uh, thing has to come back where he has to, to, to find himself again. And he can only do that with, um, his own destruction, unfortunately. And finding the Grail to try to bring those two. Right, right. There's a, I love the the whole Grail sequence with the with the Percival. Mm -hmm. That was just, I just love that. That is an aside thing. It's just amazing. It's just, the unsung he goes, hero. He misses the Grail, and then he gets it the second time. Yeah, he's like the unsung hero of the of the cycle. Because <laughs> without him, there'd be no there'd be no Grail. No. <laughs> um, I, you know, it, it's so funny because, like, I do know my my like a lot of from, you know, like Monty Python's Holy Grail and everything. And I watched this movie, and uh, I I kept thinking there was going to be a bridge that he couldn't cross, or you know, whatever. Like, you know, you have it was. To... yeah, with Lancelot, Lancelot, yeah. Oh, that's right. Holy shit! I didn't even think about that one. So okay. Yeah, and Lancelot, the Lancelot stuff was amazing. Oh, yeah. You know, he, like, yeah, and then the, their fight scene, and then later, just the love affair between him uh, and Guinevere, like, all that stuff. Like, It is uh, the old wound, my king. It is never healed. Yeah. So there's there's yeah. so much stuff in here. Like, wow, it's... it's, <laughs> it's and when, when, when Lancelot comes back, it's like, Lancelot has returned. I mean, they said they get renewed vigor for their fighting. And it's great because he doesn't look like the old handsome, you know, Lancelot. He's this looks like a wild man with his beard and the long right. hair. I didn't great. recognize him. Yeah, he was great. You know, I absolutely didn't. I was like, wait, what? That's not Lancelot, and it was, you know. Well, when you hear his voice, you definitely tell. But you know, like they just did a great job. Um, I just I loved every single character, loved every single frame of the movie. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. it, it was really well done and shot. Like you could tell they actually really cared mm -hmm. about the movie. Could and, they could they make a movie like that today? No. Well, I don't think so either. No, I, they they'd I, want to make it all special effects, and it would look rap, crappy. Well, no, yeah, that's one thing they'd probably do. Uh, second, they'd shoot on digital and not film. And I think that the beauty of this film is that it was shot on film because yes. Yes. Uh, just the, the, as you were saying before, Alfred, the shot of the um, at the end with the, the sunset and everything, I mean, just beautiful. The, the three Norns, yeah, that's, that's yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't think they really could cool. make something like this today, but they wouldn't do it in Hollywood. It'd be, it'd have to be independent and they probably wouldn't do it because like a lot of it, as you were saying before, Paul, like the, uh, uh, what is it? The, 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 every, the dialogue, all of it sounded very Shakespearean 
and stuff, and they'd be like, "No kid will you sit through a Shakespearean thing." I think was that Alfred? He's the only person who pulled it off today because you imagine Quentin Tarantino's Arthur, and like he's sitting there and he's like, and they, have the, they, they have the grail situation instead of the body situation. Oh, come <laughs> well, on. Neil funny. Green could do it. Mm-hmm. Neil Green, it's, yeah. kind of, it's kind of funny that you guys are mentioning that this couldn't be done because there was an attempt to a degree of this movie, not this exact movie, but Ridley Scott last year did The Last Duel. Natural lighting period piece back in time there is there there, that's a movie that didn't it was made and i thought it was pretty good it wasn't great but it was pretty good um but they they didn't it didn't pander to anything it was just true to itself and i think that that's probably the closest thing that i could think of in the last decade or so that would probably even be approaching this um, in that type of look really scott also did robin hood and Ridley Scott uh, and Antoine Fuqua did uh, um, did King Arthur, um, but it still didn't look. I I don't like. I remember that looking glossy and very like. Well, that's one thing. Last Last Duel definitely does not have that glossy feel. So it has the feel similar to what what Excalibur had as as just the the natural look. What if it's raining outside? If it's cloudy outside, it's going to look that way on the film. And, and, and I think and I think they shot um, last duel on film as well um, but it looked it, it looked kind of comparable when I was watching Excalibur I was like I was like okay this what have I watched recently something like it and this would probably be the non-glossy aspects of it but yeah the, the, the traditional Hollywood versions were more like you know back in the 60s Camelot making it into like a musical because that was hot at the time and then the other one I'm thinking of is the one with Richard Gere um first night oh, first night uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. i would actually think you know what who could pull it off is uh the guy who did the witch uh robert eggers oh god yeah yeah would he would probably be the only person i would imagine that yeah. could really pull off doing like a remake of excalibur well, in some way well you know? i i the other guy i think who plays with folklore and mythology in a very dreamlike kind of way that would also work would probably be someone like Guillermo del Toro, although he tends to do more um, horror oriented stuff. I think he would also do an excellent well, job. He would, he would take the Merlin aspect and Morgana aspect and make it more horror and more scary, you know, stuff. What I really liked about Merlin was Merlin wasn't your typical wizard looking thing he didn't have like a long beard you know like you see in like the lord of the rings or something he looked like he could be just anybody else you know and um i i absolutely love that and i love that he didn't um merlin wasn't uh you know merlin didn't raise arthur you know he gave it gave him to someone else to raise and uh he was just waiting now he's five steps ahead of everybody else Right. So I, I absolutely love that. I, I Once again, I think Del Toro would probably do a really good job. Um, Robert Eggers would do a good job. And mm. Tarantino, I'd love to see, but I don't think on his 10th film he's going to do an Arthur <laughs> no. you know, thing. No, I, I don't think well, that would be up his alley at all. Yeah, no. another, thing that, another, another thing to be really difficult and hard to do, and this is a thing that, that hurt the last duel, is the budget necessary to do it um because the budget for last duel was insane and, and they took a serious bath on it because it it lost a lot um for, but 
didn't Charlie Hunnam play King Arthur in a um, Guy Ritchie version of King yes. Arthur, Legend of the Sword or something? Legend and I thought it would work if they cut Merlin out of it. And they cut Merlin out of it? What the fuck, man? Mean. Guy Ritchie is a, you know, um, I know, uh, what is it? I know Asylum's done Merlin stories and, oh, and whatnot and stuff, <laughs> and they're fun, at least, you know, like, you know, you're not really seeing an asylum movie for anything but it, it being an asylum movie, you know, like whatever. Um, but I would, uh, you know, I, I remember seeing, I was kind of bored by Guy Ritchie's, uh, you know, Legend of, you know, uh, Legend of the Sword or whatever version. I just, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I just, I just think you got to have a certain level of actor in order to, uh, in order to really pull this off as well. I mean, that's one of the I reasons. I love Charlie Hunnam, though. I think he's a great actor. One of the reasons I didn't go near Last Duel, because I just don't see Matt Damon as Sir Anything, you know, or Adam Driver or Ben Affleck. Come on. No, they, they you know, they're okay in, in their thing, but but in, in uh, British high literature, no. Yeah, that's true. They should get British actors, but you know that that movie that movie is un un that that movie's got a pretty good um, following by quality people who look for quality. Surprisingly good. Um, It's it's it was very surprisingly good, and I I I was taken back by it. It was kind of long too, like two and a half hours, but um, you know, as it goes. But yeah, surprisingly good. It happens every now and again. I mean, I was surprised the last Legion was was good, and that's Colin Firth and Ben Kingsley, produced by Dino De Horrendous. So <laughs> sometimes the good things happen, you know. He said De Horrendous. <laughs> yeah, that was his nickname for a long time after King Kong. Wow, Peter Jackson. No, Dino De Laurentiis. Oh, oh, he did the King Kong thing. Okay. Yeah, seventy six. Yeah, he did. Bridges uh, and the one with Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange. Yeah, and then the Hercules with uh, Lou Ferrigno. All those awful movies, which uh, we're gonna do on Indie Film Cafe. We're gonna do the first one because it's so bad. <laughs> Oof. That, that's that's Tonka Toy uh, Hercules. It's so funny. Well, I, I think we're, we're, we're wrapping it up here, but um, uh, Alfred, any last thoughts? I'd say if you haven't seen it, go see it. Um, see it a couple of times and just um, open your mind and enjoy it. I mean, it's just a, I, it's just such a fantastic movie. I, sometimes words can't even describe it, but I think it just something held my attention when I was a kid and it held my attention now. Yeah. It's it still holds my attention. Well, I mean, I, I just saw it for the first time, and like you know, I've I've got a you know like I get bored very easily, and this movie was not boring at all. Are you saying it was better writing. than Maradonia? Uh, yeah, but it's the same amount of length or whatever, you know. Yeah. Like that that movie was about two and a half hours long too, or so, and it was a lot better. Uh, this movie is a lot better. Yes, yes, this movie's a lot better than most most movies so you know that's not that's not fair to say you know <laughs> you'd have to pick a really good movie from indie film cafe and compare it to it uh what about you uh, uh joe last thoughts um i'd say it was really really good um i'm i'm not quite at the place that alfred and 
Paul are with it as being like the supremely great film, but I, I really, really like it. So, it's, um, so but nothing, no, no reason not to watch it. I mean, if you're into um, wanting to try something a little different, that's going to take you to a different place. Um, this is definitely worth, worth the time. Definitely. What about you, Paul? Uh, last thoughts? Uh, I mean, everything that you guys said, plus if you get the chance, go back to some of these sources, go back and read, you know, Chrétien de Troyes and read some of uh, Geoffrey of Monmouth and some of the, you can go back and check out some of these sources. There's some great, great old mythology and folklore that's out there that, you know, you might hear about King Arthur, but until you actually read some of the stuff, you, you really need to check it out and just, you know, it'll, it'll entertain you, but it also better your education. It's just, it's wonderful that it's out there. And, I, and I'm very glad that this movie was, was made in such a way so that it wasn't just the only version of, of, uh, of King Arthur anybody knew about was either the Camelot musical or the Disney version. You know, thank God John Borman came out and made this. I'm so happy and thankful for that. Camelot musical. I dude, forgot about that. <laughs> oh God. Rex Harrison. Yeah. It was it uh, all I can think about is spam a lot. Didn't they do then they put that out on uh in the Broadway or something? <laughs> yeah. Well. All right. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, I, I absolutely enjoyed it. It's my first time watching it. I uh I was blown away um by it. I I I feel like I definitely need to have it on like uh you know either Blu-ray or 4K or, or something and see it. Um because even on DVD with an upscale to 4K. It looked pretty good, but I bet even, you know, through a, you know, as a Blu-ray or 4K, it would look even, even better. So, yeah, yeah, Yeah. true blue. Um, So I want to say thank you guys so much. Uh, Next week uh, is Joe, or next month's is Joe's. Um, Joe, do you want to mention what we're doing? Sure. Um, uh, we're taking a definite turn from where we've done the first two with um, uh, Predator and Excalibur. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, this is going to be a definite turn in a different direction going comedy. Um, I'm going to go with a movie um, from 1981, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, uh, so both of these are 1981. I didn't know that. Wow. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. a true Gen X movie right there. Yeah. So it's, it's, there the you movie, go. It's, it's one of the ones that started it all. Exactly. Uh, Alfred, you like Fast Times, right? I haven't seen the whole thing. What? What? You know what? You need to watch it before we do the review. I will definitely uh, do that. It's the movie that got me into Jennifer Jason Lee, among others. And Phoebe Cates. <sighs> Phoebe Cates, yeah. too, sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, everybody, uh, that's awesome. By the way, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is on Criterion. Interestingly enough, Excalibur, I did not know that. Excalibur really? should be on it too. Yeah, Spicoli made it to Criterion. How about that? Yeah, with, yeah I'm, I'm... if if you buy the Criterion version, which Criterion is having sale in November, uh, but if you buy the Criterion version, they're they're at Barnes and Noble. They're having a sale uh, in November, but if you buy the Criterion version, there's the also the uh, the TV cut, which has like edited scenes and everything put back into the movie. I'm wondering then I'd like to look it up because if it does, does it have the original music because they had to cut a lot of the music because of rights rules at the time too. We'll get into all that, but um, I'm Maybe. happy to look into that. 
look into that Criterion version because I'm. Um, you can get uh, it for twenty dollars at Criterion. What, at, uh, whatever happened? Month. Whatever happened to Judge Reinhold? He was the man back in the eighties, and all of a sudden, gone. He's filming Beverly Hills Cop Four right now. He was oh, in Boltneck, the movie reviewed for uh, Indie Film Cafe, with that, Shelley Duvall as his wife. Oh God, that tells you how far he fell. Whoa. <laughs> Shelley Whoa. Duvall and Richard Mole is in that movie, and oh, oh Bull, Bull, Bull Ryan Reynolds. Point. I mean, it had a weird cast of people, but uh, I loved what, it. Which, which which one was this? It's called Boltneck, but if you look it on Tubi, it's called Teen Monster because I have no idea why they <laughs> changed that title. I guess they didn't think people would understand. Boltneck is, you know, obviously a Frankenstein, you know, um, thing, mm-hmm. but whatever. It's a it's a fun little Frankenstein. Matthew Lawrence, Christine Lagan, you know, Ryan Reynolds movie. It's fun. I liked it, but uh, instead of the other people that reviewed it with me, you know, so it's cute. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, this movie, uh, Excalibur, was awesome. Thank you guys so much. And thank you, Alfred, for, for choosing this film um, for, for our 80s uh, season, I guess we're going to call it. My pleasure is really. We talk about this movie with um, Paul, you and Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm yeah. happy we got to have Paul on because I know Paul is a huge fan and uh, was able to give us some information that we weren't probably going to be able to bring up otherwise. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really really enjoy your, your sharing, Paul. Oh great. yeah, yeah. Well, my my first crack at grad school was literature, and it was uh, medieval and um, you know Elizabethan era literature so mm-hmm. this is right up my alley right there on. you go all right well thank you guys so much and join us next month for uh fast times at richmond high and that'll after that that'll end the uh year uh, well i mean not the season but the end of the year so it's crazy it'll be december Woo. thanks for um, having me on guys yes you're very welcome thanks for being on and everybody what were you saying, Alfred? In the immortal words of Murph and the Magic Tones, until next time, don't you go change it. <laughs> there you go. On that note. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. You're listening to the Hollywood Boulevard Podcast.